Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And on our Thought Leader Podcast, we interview guests from all around the world with weird and wonderful accents and weird and wonderful ideas, but they're all thought leaders and they all have something valuable to say. We talked to John Cropper today um, who has experienced a lot more in his career than most folks experience in, I don't know, a couple lifetimes. Uh, we started out talking about uh, the beautiful piece of art hanging behind him that ties right into the work that he's been doing. And we end up by talking about the power of democratizing education and quite an interview. Without any further explanation, I think we should just go and listen to what John has to say. Here's John. So, John, I have to, you know, for, for the folks that are listening, because uh, there is no video, uh, when they hear your voice, they're going to picture, picture you in their mind. And so I want, could you describe that beautiful piece of art behind you a little bit? And sure. you already kind of told me the, the history behind it, but I'd love to, to hear that on behalf of the listeners. Oh, sure. No, happy to. Um, well, it is a, it's a collage, and it's of a Haitian voodoo goddess. And it was a present. I mean, I worked in Haiti a fair bit from about 2000 or 2001 to 2004. And uh, it was a present from the Haitian staff because they knew I was interested in uh, Haitian culture. And, and you know, I just think it's, it's beautiful. So it's always had pride of place on, on one wall or another. And when I was getting it framed, uh, when I went to pick it up, the the guy in the in the in the shop said that several people had seen it and offered to buy it. Um, we said no, it's, I can't. It's just I'm just putting a frame on it. That's the uh, um, story behind it. So diving kind of deeply and right off the bat, you worked for for Oxfam, obviously one of the most you know extraordinary organizations out there for helping people create their own wealth of a certain kind, right? So uh, I'm also curious about your last name, Cropper, wondering if, if does that also derive from sort of uh, some sort of farming background or, or what, what's the origin of your name? <laughs> I have no idea. Probably does. I would guess so. With crop, I would guess it does, but I don't really know. And the work you're doing now uh, is planting seeds that will be sown many generations from now, right? And that's the work well, that's you've done hope. for many years. That's yeah. the hope. You know, a friend and colleague and I, we started Pyramid Learning in 2019 because we care very much about trying to get learning to the people who really need it. You've got so much, I mean, in development, so much learning, and there is a lot, but it's for people in, you know, there's this hierarchy, you know, if you're in the headquarters, um, you know, you get more and then it's expensive. So it gets rationed. And so then it goes to, you know, the senior people in the countries and whatever. And by the time you get, it's a little bit like the leaking bucket model of development, you know, that the money goes to this bucket goes down the chain. And by the time it gets to the person at the end, well, a lot of, you know, a lot is leaked out of the hole of the bucket. And so what we try to do is we're just really interested in finding ways to get learning 
to the people who need it most. So as an example, we have just finished, like last week or so, uh, doing a course entirely on WhatsApp for nuns, largely nuns, in Mexico. And it's on the basics of project management because you've got you know nuns working in hostels for migrants. You've got this, this wave of, of very poor people who are moving up towards the US and many of them are destitute. And so the church has got hostels to help and they're you know staffed a lot a lot of nuns are staffing them working there and then they start off and say oh we could do something online and so they're nuns you know they're working with the migrants they're doing everything and then they've got religious responsibilities you're not going to get them to sit in a classroom or sit in front of a laptop do they have phones yes well let's try it this way you know we we started with covid we did something last year in the very early days and we've got a lovely picture somewhere of a, of a refugee camp in uganda and we did a very simple WhatsApp-based course on COVID. And the guy's he's got the app and he's reading it and he's got a big sort of loud hailer type thing. And he's, you know, using it, giving instructions at a, at a water point where people are, you know, hand washing and things like that. You know, it's just the, the people who need it are out there. And I just saw something today that, oh, there have been three billion COVID vaccines have been distributed. You know, yeah, except I would say, well, how many billions haven't been distributed and to whom have they not been distributed to? And it's the same with this. So, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, find ways to get learning to the people who need it most. So, John, as I look at your, your website, it looks like most of the teaching programs, I'm looking at upcoming courses, they're rel- relatively short in like the two or three yeah. weeks. Is that intentional or yeah. uh, is, and what's the thinking behind yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Well, the reason is, I mean, we do a lot of work around probably that the biggest area of work is around project management, project management, program management. Uh, and I helped, you know, with an organization called PM for NGOs. I mean, we, we 10 years ago, we created a certification for project management for people working development, humanitarian response. And, over 30,000 people have been through that now uh, in 170-something or other countries. And so it's the biggest area of work is project management training. And, you know, people are busy. They're learning and they're working at the same time. And we've been doing this for a, a while. You know, this isn't just a COVID thing. And I, I think that it's the costs. The costs for uh, any sort of NGO, community organization, whatever. You say, okay. We're going to fly in a trainer and we're going to move everybody around the country. We're going to get to this one location and we've got, to, you know, people have got to stay somewhere. So it's a hotel. They've got to eat. And then, of course, the other thing is they're not working for a week, which is probably the biggest cost of all. And so, you know, the more we can do to help people learn and work at the same time, the better. And apart from anything else, if people can apply stuff as they go to their own projects, to their own work, is better learning. Um, and what, what's really interesting is there's another, I had previously had no idea about this, but what, one of the things we noticed is looking at who comes on the courses is that when you do stuff virtually like this, the number of women participating goes right up. And that's because I think women are more likely to be teleworking and women may not be able to just drop everything and, and go somewhere else, to a capital city or to another country to do some training. And the reason they're shorter is simply after, you know, if you do this over six, seven, eight weeks, after week five and six, you can see participation fall off a cliff. Simple as that. 
you know, I, I just think that, you know, you can, you, if you're falling behind, okay, I've got two more weeks, I can do this, I can do this. And if you think, oh, I've got six more weeks, you just think, oh, no, you know, and I, I, I'm just going to stop, I give up. So that's where we think, that's, that's why it's a four weeks is, is, I think, for us, an optimal time. So what's the, the incentive for folks to um, participate and, and finish? And, and obviously the, the skills are a great incentive. Uh, is that the only incentive or, or no, what is it, the, the reason that it, they do it? Yeah, I, I think it depends on the people, I guess, as, as, as it always does. I mean, for some people, the idea of getting a certification is really important. You know, okay. You know, and, and people, some people are quite sort of uh, uh, instrumental like that. You know, I, I want that certificate. Uh, I want to get a badge. Okay, that's great. For a lot of people, it's actually, I mean, you, you, if you think about the world of development, humanitarian response, okay, it's entirely structured around projects. You take somebody else's money and you're trying to get something done and you're trying to do it in a time frame. Almost everything that a nonprofit does is a project of some shape or form. And so a lot of these people have been working on projects for a long time and they haven't had a chance to the number of people who tell me, oh, I just learned, I just started. I didn't even know that project management existed. And now, okay, this is great because now I get some, I've been doing it instinctively, but now I get some techniques some tools to structure my work. And what I really like about it is if you can manage one project just a bit better, it's a transferable skill. You can manage another project a little bit better. I mean, so, so the way we like to look at it is just trying to make the world a better place one project at a time, really. You mentioned something before that just sort of triggered my brain now. <laughs> it happens to me. You're much quicker. It normally takes me about a week for it to trigger. <laughs> Which was 30,000 people had gone through one of your programs? Yeah. Well, they've been, no, it, it's a certification, and over 30,000 people have been through the certification. I mean, we created it. And then we created an independent NGO called PM for NGOs that has the intellectual property. So, you, you know, it really is something that is owned, it's developed by the sector, it's owned by the sector, it's for the sector. And uh, that organization gets the revenue from the exams, which means it can then uh, help organize translation. So it is, it is already in French, Spanish, Portuguese, Arabic and it's about to go into Chinese and Bahasa Indonesia and you know it can do new products so there's a, a project management guide there is a program management guide and the certifications on the back of it there is now a, a fairly new one on finance for example so it, it, it's uh, and I help put you know put that together and tomorrow is my last day as chair of the board after 10 years I think good governance you know people need to change and so uh, as tomorrow is my last day as the chair of PM for NGOs. But yeah, it's been over 30,000 people. 80% of them are in the developing world. And it's in 170-something countries that, you know, where people have, have been through the certification. And, you know, many people don't need to do the certification. They just want to download the guide and learn. To get, and, and, you know, we, we constructed the whole thing so that if somebody wants, you know, they don't need to do training or they can't afford it. The guide is free. There is e-learning available for free, and there is a cost to the certification, but for local organizations, it's $22. It's all online. Again, we try to remove barriers. But again, some people, they, they don't need the certification, you know, uh, and that's great. That's fantastic. 
you know, if somebody downloads it and they get one tool and it makes their project a little bit better, that's a win. I have a question kind of about succession in a way, because yeah. you've built something big. You've worked in lots of big organizations, relatively speaking. That said, obviously, as you kind of go up to do the Google Earth view and kind of go up into space, things start to get littler, <laughs> right? Yeah, so there's always right. a bigger yeah. impact to be made. Uh -oh. What's the scaling plan, the succession plan for the organization or uh, for, for all the work that you all have well, built? I, ste I step down tomorrow, but we have a new chair in place. We've also, we're also going through a board recruitment process to get, you know, we've got a fully functioning independent board, um, well, it's an independent organization. And what's really encouraging is over the last couple of years to see more board members step up, take on more responsibility. Uh, and, you know, that, that, that's phenomenal. So I, I'm, I'm very pleased. And I think that the organization is in a, is in a really good place. So to some extent, you know, uh, with a nonprofit, it's very easy to say, oh, it's finances, it's got this, that's the measure of success. Actually, it's, it's probably its board, because if there are problems at the board level, it always, always has an effect on the rest of the organization. So we've got a new chair taking over and we've got new, we've got board, we've already got board members, we've got doing some more board member recruitment right now. And again, this is something we've been working on for a while. It's not something of, oh, I'm going next week, quick. <laughs> Whose turn is it? You know. So what's you your know, next? What's your next uh, step? What are you working on? Well, I mean, so pyramid learning, which is the day job, if you like. I mean, we're always looking for interesting projects, ways of whether we're helping organizations take learning to scale. So we're just doing work right now with a couple of big uh, NGOs, helping them take uh, their project management learning to scale using technology. So, you know, because it's really easy. You say 30,000 people you know, great. And I sort of think, well, but you've probably got 30,000 people working in nonprofits in Delhi, like in one city, as you say, you take the Google Earth view and the numbers, you know, the significant, the impact changes. So I, rather than say, I think it's 30,000, I think it's a lot. And I also think, is that all? Where do we get the 300,000 from? So that, that's why we're really interested in, you know, you know working with organizations are interested in, in learning, and scale, and we, we do quite a bit of advice as well around around learning, learning systems, and again, technology, taking things to scale, and so on. And then in terms of, you know, quite recently, I've just joined the board, uh, uh, almost like, uh, I don't know, what's the opposite of Google Earth? It's going right down to a very great friend of mine has asked me to join the board of a small refugee-led Ugandan NGO called Now and Tomorrow. And, you know, uh, it, it's fabulous because it's, you know, it's, you're not dealing with the big international NGOs. You've got, you know, you've got very sophisticated people, very committed, very highly educated, very experienced and heeding the exact opposite. It's tiny and it's in a refugee camp yeah. in Naki Valley in, in, in Uganda. And the many of the people they're dealing with, you know, well, almost everybody, they're refugees from Rwanda, right. Burundi and the DRC. And so, uh, again, it's a totally different set of challenges. Uh, how do you help an organization like that get some structure, develop, deal with problems? How do you show people some simple tools that can help them structure their work? And see, what I find is that when you show people some simple tools, they get it really quickly. Uh, oh, wow, this is great because this helps me do more of what I want to do. 
and I can do it quicker. And so, uh, so that, that, that's what I'm doing uh, at the moment. So we like to keep these interviews fairly short. So we really appreciate all the stories you've shared and so forth. I'm curious to go back as far as you can remember almost and, and kind of let us know where you developed this sense of urgency around helping people be educated and, and be able to, you know, be on a e uh, more even playing field uh, across the world. When did that sort of emerge for you? Well, I mean, I was... Uh, uh I taught English for the British Council in in Madrid, in Spain. And then I, I saw a, a job advertised as a senior teacher in Hanoi. And this was in 1995. And I saw the job advertised again. I thought, if they're advertising it again, no one wants to go. And so I applied for it and no, nobody wanted to go. So I got the job. I loved it. <laughs> three wonderful fascinating years because it was it was just as vietnam was opening up and hanoi was a delightful city i haven't been there for years but a city where most trees were taller than most buildings it was just delightful and it was fascinating and then i went back as an assistant director back to madrid with the british council and technically it was really interesting but it wasn't very satisfying because we were just trying to you know, make as much revenue as possible for the British Council. Whereas in Vietnam, everything that we did had been around education and development. You know, we put in teacher resource centers in some really remote locations and stuff like that. And that's when I said, no, actually, I want to work for uh, um, a nonprofit. And that's where I, um, you know, that's when I joined Oxfam in Latin, working in Latin America. You know, it started a way back. And I, and I do, it is, look, I just think it's, it's really important. I also think that education is all about power. I mean, a word that you see used and abused a lot is empowerment. I will empower you. No, you can't. It's logically impossible. If I am giving you power, I am keeping some of it. And I think education allows people to actually say, you know, you know, and whether it isn't on what sort of education, but you know, it allows people to develop their own awareness and take ownership. It gives people confidence. And I think, you know, uh, and that is everything. I mean, in, in Nepal, in a fascinating project, all about confidence, working with some very poor women. And, you know, they, it was amazing the way they developed their confidence. They started taking ownership for local government, governance. And in many places, that was great. And in one place, they tried to negotiate an end to sales of illegal alcohol because, you know, their husbands were the ones who would spend the money on it, drink, get drunk and beat them. And they tried and tried and tried, didn't work. So they just banded together and burned down the stores in the markets which are selling the illegal alcohol. Now, that might not be an intended outcome of your work, but it's a pretty bloody good indicator of empowerment. And I just think, and I just think education is a really important part of building people's confidence, building people's skills, so that people can start to take power for themselves. And you know, that, that's what changes the world. People taking power for themselves. Yeah. Um, that sounds like a great place to to end the conversation because that's a very powerful statement that I fully support and I know Kent does as well. I love your thinking about you can't give people power because if you do, you're keeping some for yourself. That's yeah. Uh, it's so logical, but we don't hear people no, say it's just it's so. a term that's just like it's almost like a, a, a 
development buzzword bingo. You know, we will empower da, 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 poor communities and wherever. Nonsense, no, you won't. You know, yeah. you can create the conditions for people to take power. And that's where education is. And there are other things too, of course, but that's where education fits in, learning, skills development. Yeah, I love, I absolutely love that. What a pleasure to speak with you, John. Uh, where can folks find out about your work? Uh, where do you want to point people? Oh, I would have thought well, we've got the website, which is just pyramidlearning.org, nice and easy. And, and LinkedIn, I'm just, I suppose it should have been there for a long time, just John Cropper. That's the easiest way. And I'm very, I, I'm very, I'll just talk with anybody, anybody who's interested in talking about this stuff, you know, I'm very happy to, to contact. Thanks so much for talking with us. This has been a real pleasure. Likewise, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, John. That was amazing. Um, you took us on quite a journey from Haiti to Hanoi to Spain to all sorts of wonderful places where education needs to be made available to people at all places within the socioeconomic scale. I just want to applaud you for making it very clear and that last statement you made that we can't empower people. If we do that, we're keeping some of the power for ourselves. All we can do is create the conditions for people to become powerful themselves. No doubt in the power of uh, those words in this interview, it was really, really special to just see the start of the work that John's been doing. So check out their website and you can also find out what we do at thoughtpartnergroup.com. There's a little button at the top where you can fill out an assessment and kind of think about your own impact on the world. And if you like our podcast, please subscribe to them. There'll be a button somewhere down below or at the side. And if you want, just leave a comment. We would love to read what you have to say. That's it. Uh, go out and do something great.